Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, welcome back, everybody. Gee, it's almost like everybody's attention is on other things now, just randomly all of the sudden, isn't it? Strange. Strange how everybody just consistently gets manipulated by the media on a constant basis. It is astounding. It's astounding. People in the Middle East have been killing each other since the beginning of time. But all of the sudden now, all the Zionists are coming out of the woodwork. It is bizarre, isn't it? It's just bizarre. Sorry for starting off with that rant that quickly. I don't have a whole lot to say regarding what's going on in Israel, if anything is happening. I really don't care. Uh, I'll just say this, that the absolute hypocrisy of our country and our government is astounding when it comes to what people are allowed to do and what people are allowed to say. Excuse me. So first off, you know, you've got Nikki Haley and every other Zionist uh, jumping on TV all screaming about how basically the Gaza Strip and uh, every Arab needs to be wiped from the face of the planet. And they get to say that. And they're saying that on TV. They're saying it all the time. It blows me away. But if, if any of us say anything on social media, what happens to us? The FBI knocks on our door. Well, you've, you've made some comments here that we want to just uh, clarify and make sure that you're not going to do anything. But Nikki Haley gets to do it, and she gets to run for president. Got it. Seems completely fair. Seems totally fair. Same thing with Laura Loomer. I mean, Laura Loomer's a, a absolute piece of trash. She's an opportunist. Uh, you know, she's like a cockroach when the lights come on. And every single time she runs around and scurries around, plays the victim, she'll do anything, absolutely anything for clicks. It's disgusting. But I'm not going to pretend to know all the ins and outs of what's going on over there and who has their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. And I'm sure there's plenty of money laundering going on and a thousand other things, but I I really just don't care. So I'm not going to bring it up. Beyond, frankly, these introductory comments, um, again, white hats involved, black hats involved, who's to say? I I, I really don't know, and I I just don't care. I actually just care more about our country and always will. I care far more about what's going on here. The fact that a giant check can get cut and sent to Israel in the blink of an eye, and yet a check can't be cut for the American people who are having a hard time putting food on the table or finding a job, or keeping a job, or paying insurance, and a thousand other things that are going on here. I mean, we're being invaded, ladies and gentlemen. You know, that continues to be a a, a massive thing that is happening, that is not fake, that is very real, and it's being funded by the UN. This is proven. This has been proven, and I have to applaud someone. I have to applaud Ben Burkwam. And, and the individuals that, that he runs with down there around the border, I mean, the, the, the guy's been everywhere, but he's taking endless hours of footage of what's really happening, and that is not staged. That is not fake. That is not some script or movie. That's real. We're being invaded. Again, these individuals are coming over here with preloaded debit cards. They just have money with them. Most of them do anyway. I'm sure some don't. I've I've played some of the footage on the war videos, you know, 
firsthand testimony of individuals coming across and they say, yeah, the UN gave us this card and uh, gave us a cell phone, but there's no money on the card. But the cell phone works, but there's no money in here. And then there are other cards, of course, that have cash. The point is, is that we're being invaded by individuals who are actively being recruited, both in California, as we know, and in Illinois, by law enforcement in order to become law enforcement. These are not Americans. It's been said a million times, of course, they are of military age, the vast majority of them. The vast majority are male. What does that, what does that mean for the future here? In fact, just quickly, let me give you a little local news. In the town where I live, there is a railway that runs right through the center of town. This particular track also takes Amtrak trains to and from Chicago and southbound also. Um, for a very long time, and I, we may have used to, it's possible we used to have an actual train station here in town at one point. I'm not entirely sure, but we don't have one now. And the mayor and city council, again, all Marxists, all whack jobs, everything that they believe is a lie. Climate change, the whole thing. These people are certifiable. They want to bring back a, a, a Amtrak train station to this town. And they openly brag about how cool it would be to have stops here in our town from Chicago. Now again, we're being invaded. These cities are being overrun with illegals. But the mayor in the town where I live thinks it would be a good idea to have a train station so that people from Chicago can come here on a one-way track. Well, what kinds of people would be coming here exactly? They would be illegals. That's exactly who would be coming here. This is a huge, huge problem. And this is going to infect the smallest towns in America if the military doesn't get involved at some point and root these people out. And I mean, they have got to go door to door, street to street, and take them back to whatever shithole they came from. I don't care. They have got to go. They've got to go. The crime is going to increase because it's already increasing everywhere. It's only going to get worse. This is the way that it's going to be. So I don't give a damn about Israel. I care about what's going on here because it's right in our backyard. All these policies, all, these, all this satanic Jewish UN agenda stuff, it's all right here. It's all right here. So all the talking heads on TV can scream and shout about this subject or that subject. There's two major things happening right now that are undeniable. And it's not a movie and it isn't a script. There's a biological weapon that is active in every county in the United States and across the world. You know what I'm talking about. And we're being invaded. It's that simple. Those are the two biggest issues going on in the world right now. And it's happening in our backyard. Doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter the city, the state. Doesn't matter. It's happening. So, yeah. Not starting on a 
positive note necessarily, but I mean, that's, that's what's going on. That's why it drives me up the wall anytime again. You start listening to a radio show or you hear commercials or again, flip on a TV or you look at a TV and all of a sudden talking heads are talking about what? Are they talking about those two things that I just said? Because if they're not, then they, these individuals are not your friends. These are not the people to be listening to. That's my two cents, of course. It's just my opinion, but yeah, there you go. I'll tell you what, um, I'm going to do this in the future. We, of course, in Ohio have a rather large election coming up here with some big issues. What I plan on doing in the future, and this is both for any local listeners where I live, and then, of course, basically anyone else who just kind of wants to pay attention to the ins and outs of, of what's really going on. Because, again, what's happening locally and certainly in my state isn't singular. It's happening just about everywhere. But what I plan on doing is I want to do at least one episode where I play audio from all of the individuals, again, that are on the election ballot where I live. So we're talking city council members, uh, school board members, you name it. And then there's two major issues that are on the state ballot also. Issue one and issue two. Issue one would legalize abortion in the state of Ohio. Uh, and issue two would bring about recreational use of marijuana. Me personally, I'm against both of these things. I'm not a proponent of baby killing, nor am I uh, a drug user. I'm just not. So that's the way that that's the way that that works. This right here again, ladies and gentlemen, this is a satanic agenda. This is the whole point: make people fat, stupid, lazy, and then have them kill their babies. That's all on the ballot in Ohio. Again, we can't be the only state where that's the case. I'm sure these issues make their way to most ballots in most states uh, on a year-in, year-out basis, but that's what's happening. And unfortunately, in the state of Ohio, uh, with, with the, the, the bill that didn't pass the last snap election here that we had not that long ago, it's made it easier now for basically anybody to put any junk proposal on any ballot going forward. There was a constitutional amendment that was proposed a while back, a number of months ago, which I brought up on the show. Again, it didn't pass. And now again, unfortunately, as a result of that, uh, it's just kind of remaining the same. You can, you can basically throw whatever you want on the Ohio ballot, and, uh, and people are going to vote for it. They know this. The bad guys know this because eventually they'll just keep throwing stupid things on ballots, and uh, eventually they think it'll pass. Not to mention the county where I live, it's a red county, and as I've said in the past, I think it maybe went blue once, and that was only when Obama ran for president the first time, because everybody, I don't know, felt guilty about needing to vote for a black guy, allegedly. Uh, but I could have that wrong. But either way, they've always wanted Butler County, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati, to always be a blue county. Again, it's, it's the home of a university. And, uh, and they want it to be a blue county as much as they possibly can. Of course, it's not a blue county. It's not populated with Democrats by and large. And, and that's a good thing. But they keep throwing all of these satanic agendas on all of these, uh, all these election ballots. And it's, it, it's just flipping exhausting. I don't know what else to say about it. So 
I'm going to dedicate an entire episode to those issues. And again, I'm, I'm going to play audio from these nitwits who are running for office because unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever one you, whichever point of view you want to take, the local university has a podcast series and they're actually letting these nitwits talk for 30 straight minutes about basically whatever they want. And, uh, you know, they're not hard hitting questions from these Miami university students by any stretch. In fact, there's no back and forth. They're not challenging them on anything because, of course, the students doing the interviewing don't know what the hell they're talking about. But I'm going to play audio from these people because it really is embarrassing. And what these people say and what they're proposing and what they're doing is just awful. Not to mention, of course, the local school district levy that uh, that is going to be on the ballot too. So I'm going to cover that also. Speaking of that, there's a, a middle school administrator who is allegedly uh, on paid administrative leave right now. So that's that's fun. Not sure why. Allegedly, it's not a crime. They're not being investigated for any criminal activity, so, so it says. But uh, no one seems to really understand what the problem is. Bad judgment? Shocking, isn't it? Shocking that a, that an, a school administrator would use bad judgment. Beyond strange. But either way. Just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention, and uh, hopefully that episode will work its way around this stupid little brainwashed town that I live in, because yeah, people just don't know. And unfortunately, again, there's no one good on the ballot. Everybody's, everybody's basically all aligned for the most part. But either way, that episode will come probably a little bit closer to the actual election itself, probably the end of the month. Um, okay, a couple more geopolitical things here. And then I'm going to dive into education stuff. This was making the rounds earlier this week, certainly worth bringing up and raises a few eyebrows and certainly some more questions, I think, too. But this is from the expose and it's titled U.S. House of Representatives Cuts Funding to the UN, WHO, WEF, and Climate Change. I love it. They apparently, it says, well, it says this, it says, most interestingly, it includes prohibiting funds to several United Nations agencies the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, EcoHealth Alliance, any gain-of-function research, and multilateral assistance to World Bank-administered climate change funds. Awesome. If it's true, that's awesome. It also says that the bill also cuts off funding and so eliminates 33 special envoys, interesting number, uh, and special representatives, including doomsday climate cultist John Kerry. So his budget's gone, allegedly, but he has plenty of money himself because he's a criminal, so there you go. But that happened, apparently. Um, okay. Also this, apparently only 43 of 8,000 troops who were discharged over Biden's military vaccine mandate have sought to rejoin. Shocking. It's not, it's not shocking. That's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing that they don't want to go back. They don't want to play the games. They don't want to fight in foreign wars. And geez, they don't want to be injected with a biological weapon that's going to give them AIDS. Strange. But no wonder we're being invaded. I mean, no wonder. It's right here. The playbook's right here. Absolutely awful. I'll tell you what. Let me play this. Uh, I've got a little piece of audio here, speaking of, again, local elections and whatever, and you'll hear this audio again, because again, in the little local episode that I'm going to produce here, 
uh, I'm going to play this audio at least another time. What I'm going to play now is I want you to hear the local mayor in the town where I live. His name is Bill Snavely or William Snavely. This guy is a full-blown sociopath. I've brought him up numerous times before. He's world famous for being a complete dumbass. And uh, he was on the dumbest man on TV's television show, Don Lemon, old monkeypox lemon. And this, again, was the mayor who put forth an ordinance that would restrict the number of people who could congregate in their own home on their own property during the COVID lie. This is the same guy. Now, in this audio, when he was talking with this uh, Miami University student who hosts the podcast titled People in Policies, very diplomatic, uh, he openly advocates in the last two minutes of the show for students to vote illegally. Now, I've already sort of baited the comments at the front end, but I want you to listen to what he says and you can determine whether or not he's actually saying this or not. So I'm just going to play his audio here and then I'll jump in on the other end. But again, it sounds to me like he's advocating for Miami University students to vote twice or to register here locally and vote here locally, even though they're probably not allowed to do that. Not to mention, you can't vote twice and you can't register in two separate places because that's called a felony. But this is our mayor, ladies and gentlemen. This is what he does, and he's not the only one. So let's give him a listen, making a horrible, horrible suggestion, which is highly, highly illegal in three, two, one. I would just say that I hope that people go out and vote. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Students have sometimes asked the question, well, should I be voting here or be voting at home? And I would say, where do you see your locus being? And you're here nine months out of the year. So this is your primary residence and you should vote. You can register to vote. There is a voter registration drive going on by the League of Women Voters, Mm -hmm. and they will be uptown at every event. And Get yourself registered. Absolutely. There's yeah. flyers on Whether you vote here too. or at home. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of action up on campus, too, relating to that. So Absolutely. That group is doing a great job engaging students in local voting. No. No. It doesn't work that way. You can't register in two separate places. You can't register to vote twice. You can't do that, let alone vote twice. You're either registered to vote in one place or you're not registered to vote anywhere. That's the way it works. You just heard him. I hate this guy. I can't stand him. He's an absolute criminal. But this is exactly what they do. This is is how they behave. They're this... I don't think it's even brazen. They're not brazen. They're just stupid. They're just stupid. And again, I mean, don't even get me started on the League of Women Voters. I've brought these, I've brought these nutcases up before. Th- these individuals, again, have no problem registering students to vote who shouldn't be registered because they're already registered to vote back home, wherever their parents live. But they don't care. Oh, look, we got another one. And then again, they're on the voting roll. 
And then they show up and they'll say, well, I, I registered the other day. And they'll go, oh, we see your name here. Here you go. Go ahead and vote. And then they vote illegally. It's just nuts. They vote illegally and they might not even know that they're voting illegally. But the local police just allows this to happen. It's the exact same with all the electioneering that takes place, too. There's constant electioneering that takes place in this town. The left will always be in the parking lots, handing out flyers, encouraging everybody to just vote left. And they'll again, they'll hand them these, these bookmark things, and they'll say, no, it's just a bookmark. It's, we're just handing out bookmarks. That's all we're doing. And then you look at the bookmark, and it's, again, vote for every leftist thing that's on the flipping ballot. Every person, all of it. They have no shame. And they're doing it in front of cops. That's the thing, is cops aren't arresting these people. They're not shooing them away, saying, get out of here. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to be here. You even have elected officials at the locations of the voting places doing the same thing. They can't do that. There are no rules, ladies and gentlemen. There's no law anymore. There's nothing. We don't have any of that around here. Because when they get caught, if they get caught, or someone calls them out, they'll say, well, we, we're allowed to do that. Or they'll say, well, take it easy. Take it easy. Let's just have a conversation. We'll, we'll step back. We'll, we'll not do this. That's fine. And then they get let off the hook. The League of Women Voters in the town where I live directly engaged in electioneering during the last school levy. One of their members sits on the school board. So that's a conflict of interest. I've been over that on the show before regarding this particular person. She's an abomination too. And at the exact same time, they produced a pamphlet that they handed out to every single school employee to give to every single high school student. They can't do that. But they did it. And no one stopped them. No one scolded them. No one got arrested. No one was fined. They weren't warned. They weren't told, if you do this again, we're going to arrest you. None of that happened. They just do it every single time because they think that they're allowed to do it. It's nuts. I'm telling you, the local episode that I'm going to do about these people is going to be, I'm going to be fired up. I'm going to be absolutely fired up because these people are crazy. I mean, think about it for a minute. In, in the state of Ohio, again, you have issue one on the ballot, which is to legalize abortion, like all the way through, okay? Big time abortion, not, you know, I mean, the whole thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't know the exact timing on it, but you get what I'm saying. The point is, is these nitwits will put these signs in their yard saying, vote yes on issue one. Why don't you put a sign in your yard that says, I want to kill babies that aren't mine? It's disgusting. These people are flipping disgusting. They're just demons, all of them. Ugh, yuck. It's so gross. So gross. Anyway, okay, sorry. Again, you see how jacked up I get talking about this local stuff. And again, I've heard it before. I've had people ask me before. They've said, look. Why don't you run for office? Why don't you run for school board? Why don't you run for city council? Why don't I put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger? <laughs> Why don't I do that? I don't want to do that. I don't want to run for these positions. Even if I won, I would accomplish nothing. Other than, again, running for, basically simply running for office to snap people out of the trance that they're in. That would be the only, 
That would be the only reason to do it. Because I would be in the vast minority. I would cause endless problems. Endless people would come after me. I wouldn't care about any of that. But I would get nothing done beyond basically just trying to wake people up to the brainwashing. That's essentially it. But I can kind of do that here without having to be in the same room with those nitwits. Again, the moment somebody brought up climate change, I'd slap them across the face. I'd, I'd be arrested for assault and battery in the blink of an eye. <laughs> I really would. And uh, yeah, again, the positions don't even need to exist. Dogs and cats are mayors of towns, for Christ's sake. You know, that, that pretty much sums up the position in a nutshell, does it not? So anyway, I don't know. The whole thing's going to go down one way or another. Again, they're all injected with a biological weapon. It's not going to end well for them. So why would I want to be around that? Uh, yeah, I'd rather have it happen on their watch instead of mine. Anyway, okay, let me move on here. Education-related things. Actually, before I do that, I only have a couple of education-related things, but I do want to bring this up. I heard that Derek Johnson was criticizing more people again. Uh, for for basically calling him out for not knowing stuff and saying that podcast hosts were making fun of him and everything else because he's screaming and shouting at everybody about uh, you know the the FEMA alert that occurred last week and everything else. Well, as I brought up in the last episode at the very beginning, I said, "Hey, look, uh, you know we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We, we we can understand that there's good guys in the military working behind the scenes doing a great deal of things. And at the exact same time, we can fully see that people are getting killed. That's not pretend. That's very real. So here with the EMF thing, in case anybody was curious as to uh, other personal experiences that people had, I found this one on COVID vaccine injuries. Maybe Derek would want to listen to this because this kind of matters. Here's what the individual said. This is an Ali Durzit. And they said the following here. They said, quote, yesterday we had that nationwide alert. I saw a lot of online confirmations that no one was a zombie from it, but wanted to give a more thorough update. They said one of the doctors I follow was concerned about the EMF spike that had the possibility of happening yesterday, and he actually tracked the EMF with the device as the alerts were being sent. He found that EMF levels did go into the red zone, quote-unquote, during that time period, which indicates that everyone around did indeed experience a significant spike in EMF exposure during the alert. I have a friend with narcolepsy who had a narcoleptic event as the alert was going off. I also had several other friends report physical symptoms like pain and generally feeling off, quote-unquote, or feeling buzzing feelings during and after the event. I was in my car during the alert and heard it go off on my phone and then on my car radio. Maybe a full 60 seconds later, I had a spot on my upper chest start to hurt, right below my collarbone on the right. It hurt for a few minutes and then went back to normal. I don't know what that was about, but I wondered if it was related. They said EMF damage is subtle. One thing I wish we could do is compare last week's ER visits to the ER visits in the week following the alert. Did health emergencies increase after the alert? I would love to see a comparison of last week and this coming week, both this year and in previous years, so we could see if there was a spike in significant health events surrounding the alert. 
This was the first alert sent to millions of people at once using 5G, and I do feel the data would be worth looking at just to see. They said EMF damage can be subtle but very real. I'm, I've posted on here before that I am very EMF sensitive and have special EMF protection gloves I wear to help my hands when I'm on the computer too long. My entire house is covered in EMF protection stuff because I definitely need it. They said one way that EMF exposure can damage people is through the creation of reactive oxygen species, ROS, also known as free radicals. These ROS and free radicals create oxidative stress in the body, which can lead to a whole bunch of other issues. It's very likely that all of us experience a significant increase in ROS, and how our bodies handle that individually is going to come down to our individual health, our stress, diet, and genetics, unquote. And then they made some suggestions, again, exercise, supplements, getting plenty of sleep, things of that nature detox baths, you name it. So there you go. Again, another another anecdote, if you want to call it that, but that was another person's experience, and there you go. That happened, apparently. Okay, education stuff. And then, by the way, when I'm done with the education stuff, what I have for the jabs is absolutely gnarly. This is messed up. Uh, I'm going to get into it later, but trust me, you're going to want to stick around for this. Looks like the uh, Johns Hopkins University has another script for everybody to follow when it comes to another made-up virus of some kind that they plan on either releasing in 2025 and, uh, and the years after, but I'll get into that in just a minute. First of all, this comes from the College Fix. It's titled, DOJ Finds Georgia Tech $500,000 for Advertising Jobs Only to U.S. Citizens. And that's the Department of Justice for you, ladies and gentlemen. You see, the citizens are the criminals. And if we're not offering it to illegals and offering these jobs to illegals, well, you're going to get fined half a million dollars. It's absolutely crazy. It says here that, quote, the DOJ says that it will ensure college students are treated fairly and have an equal opportunity to compete for internships and jobs. Georgia Institute of Technology must pay half a million dollars in civil penalties for running a job recruitment platform that included postings that excluded non-citizens. Do you see what's happening here? I mean, this is the state of affairs in our country. If you offer up a position within your university to only individuals who are legal citizens here, then you're going to get fined. <laughs> I can't even believe I'm saying that. I can't even believe I'm saying these words. It says that the settlement came after a lawful permanent resident student filed a complaint with the DOJ's Civil Rights Division. One person. One person filed a complaint. It says that a student alleged that a bank advertised a U.S. citizen-only internship on Georgia Tech's Career Services website. Upon investigating the student's complaint, the department uncovered additional unlawful discriminatory advertisements on Georgia Tech's job recruiting platform that discouraged or restricted certain non-U.S. citizen students from applying, the Justice Department stated. Is this really what the Justice Department should be doing? 
Does this sound like this is what they should be spending their time with? Says the college fix reached out to the DOJ's media team for further comment, but they haven't responded. Uh, Let's see. That the university violated the Immigration and Nationality Act. A total of 1.6 million fines were levied against 30 employers who advertised citizen-only jobs on the platform. The university must ensure that certain career services personnel in its undergraduate and graduate programs are trained on the INA's anti-discrimination provision for the next three years and revise its policies to align with the law. Other schools have advocated black-only spaces, dorms, and graduations, but claims this kind of segregation is a good thing because it somehow protects black students, the group representative said in a message. No kidding. You talk about the epitome of hypocrisy. If you're a white student and you apply to attend as a student to a predominantly black university, you won't get in. You won't get in. They might even send you a letter back in the mail saying you do understand that you're white and you're applying to a predominantly black university, even if you're a staff member and they have an opening. I mean, they they discriminate out in the open. I remember this like it was yesterday when I was applying for for uh, assistant professor jobs at, at at the college and university level. In their actual cover letter for the position, they would openly state, and, and they have very funny ways of wording it, but they'll basically say that if it's a predominantly black university, or even if it isn't, and it's a predominantly white university, they'll use the exact opposite language. So if it's a predominantly black university, and, and you're not black, and you're seeking to work there, even if, even if you are black, they'll still say it. They'll say, that they're seeking a particular candidate who fits the mold of their university. That's one of sort of the, the lines that they'll say, which is, you know, a direct implication that, hey, take a look around. If you don't look like us, then, well, don't bother applying. So you have to fit a particular mold, uh, a mission. They'll say that, that you exemplify the mission or the history of our university. They'll say things like that. That's basically ways of saying again, if you're not black, you need not uh, you need not apply. The exact opposite is true when it comes to most predominantly white universities. On those cover letters for those particular positions, usually teaching positions, this is where they will use the diversity, equity, and inclusion line. And again, they'll basically openly say, "We're looking for a diverse candidate." To apply for the position. That means not white. That means if you're white, you need not apply. This is all discrimination. But of course, if they're questioned about it, they'll deny it. They'll say, no, 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 we want a diverse population. We have white people who work here. And then that's it, case closed. But like I've said before, too, even if you apply for the position, they can just look at your name on the resume. They'll look you up on the Internet. They'll say, oh, look, there's their face. They're a white person. And then they throw it in the trash. They throw your resume right in the trash because that's not what they want. And that happens all of the time. It's constant. Almost Again, it almost doesn't even matter 
the uh, you know the line of work at this point. I think what was it last week? A giant story came out that basically said the vast majority of all of these companies are not hiring white people. They're openly admitting this now. Yes, we didn't hire whites. Well, why? We didn't want to. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If the shoes on the other foot, we'd get sued. Your business would be shut down. It's absolutely crazy. It's crazy. All right. Anyway. So the one-sided discrimination continues to exist. Excellent. Anyway, uh, moving on here. Last education-related story. Cicely threw this my way. This is right up my alley. She administered these particular tests, if I'm not mistaken, when she was a school teacher, or these particular surveys, rather. And I, of course, did the same. And I've brought, uh, I've brought up this survey specifically in the past, and surveys like it. But this is the 2023 New Mexico Middle School Youth Risk and Resiliency Survey. It's about resiliency. This is the survey that you can opt out of, which is good, and I highly recommend if anybody is still sending their children to these indoctrination camps, that you opt out of any and all surveys and tests. Now, I've said this before, and it's true. Under no circumstance does a K-12 student ever have to fill out any of these things. The only thing that a K-12 student has to take is the yearly state-standardized test. That's it. Under no circumstances does a K-12 student ever have to fill out any survey or any other test or any SNAP test. Basically, you know, any kind of a quick test that is, uh, that is very quickly thrown their way where a, a counselor or a, another teacher will come into the room and say, hey, come with me. You need to sit down and take this test for the next two hours. And it's, you know, basically just to determine what you know and what you don't know. And uh, you know, your your placement in this school in XYZ? The answer to that is always no. And it's, and it's usually done, I might add, without parents even knowing about it. So just keep that in mind, that endless school officials will throw these tests and these evaluations at students and, uh, and these surveys in particular, and they don't have to fill them out and they don't have to take them. Not ever. So I've got endless stories I could tell you about all that nonsense, um, but I'll skip it for the sake of brevity here. But regarding the New Mexico Youth Risk and Resilience Survey, I want to read you some of these questions so you get a taste as to what's on this garbage, because it's terrible. Now, it'll ask you very early on. I think it's, uh, here we go, question number eight. And by the way, there is a total of 88 questions. But question number eight, it sounds innocent enough, but uh, you have to keep in mind this is all, it's all for tracking purposes. This is all basically, again, to, I mean, well, they don't have your name, but they know who takes them because they ask you everything else. You know, what's your sex? And they actually say sex on this, which is kind of nice, male or female. There's not a third choice. Amazing. I'm shocked that uh, they didn't get sued for this. But either way, they do all of this basically to just data mine all of your opinions on these particular subjects. And most of them are health-related subjects. And some of them, again, are safety and drug use, but then they start to get into the suicide questions. And again, it's remarkably, uh, it's remarkably inappropriate. So here's question number eight. It says, how often, and again, it sounds innocent, 
How often do you wear a seatbelt when riding in a car? It says A. Never, B. Rarely, C. Sometimes, D. Most of the time, or E. Always. Now, I hand-selected this particular question because I could do it with theoretically any, any question here. But that question right there, whose business is that? Whose business is it that a child is filling out a question about how frequently they wear a seatbelt in a car? Again, I know it sounds like an innocent question. You know, Sean, you're blowing this out of proportion. I don't think it's anybody's business as to whether or not someone wears a seatbelt in a car. It's not government's business. It's not the school's business. It isn't anybody's business. Again, I know it's an innocent question, but this right here, this is the whole, this is the whole plan. You give them an inch, they'll take a mile. I remember a very famous video from back in the day. I want to say it was in the 70s. It was classic. Local news affiliates, or a local news affiliate, was running a story about seatbelt laws. And they were, they were walking up to drivers in their cars, and they were saying, so what do you think about uh, you know, the, the local area or the state's new um, seatbelt law? And they're looking right at the reporter, and they're talking right into the microphone, and they're saying, this is, this is ridiculous. Government doesn't get to tell me what to do or what not to do. And then they, I mean, the citizens were, were furious and they were openly saying, well, wait a minute. I mean, does this mean that we get to pull over police officers if we see them not wearing a seatbelt? What, what about police officers on motorcycles? What about motorcycles in general? What about this? What about that? And, and again, they basically arrived at the exact same conclusion, which is you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. What next? Do I have to wear a helmet while I'm driving a car? Again, I'm not saying that not wearing a seatbelt is uh, is a good decision. Clearly, wearing a seatbelt is a better decision than not. My point is, is that this right here are the little inroads that government seeks to make in order to create a uh, a digital identity for everybody, and they're doing it with children in American schools on a constant basis. This is just one way they do it. They ask uh, a lot of questions about bullying as well. Here's another one. The next three sections, I'm sorry, it says the next three questions ask about attempted suicide. Question number 15, have you ever seriously thought about killing yourself? Yes or no. 16, have you ever made a plan about how you would kill yourself? Yes or no. 17, have you ever tried to kill yourself? Yes or no. Who's going to say yes to all of those? And if they say yes to all of those, is the teacher going to know? Is the counselor going to find out? Are the parents going to find out? No, they don't. It's an anonymous survey. Again, I've administered this survey as a school teacher many, many, many years ago. Probably like three times was about all. And I, I eventually, I, I knew it was completely ridiculous and I didn't want to do it anymore, which is why I stopped doing it. But um, it, was, it was something that was forced on us by the district to do. And they were like, well, find the health teacher and then have him do it. And uh, unfortunately, you, you don't get to see the answers that the, students, that the students write in. You just don't get to see them. They, they fold up the survey, and then they walk uh, to the other side of the room, and they stick them in an envelope, and they're completely anonymous. But if you're saying yes to these suicide questions, I mean, who's going to help that student? You're, you're never going to know. It asks questions about using drugs. It asks questions about vaping. It asks questions about guns. 
let's see. Sexual intercourse, it asks questions. How many, uh, how many people have you ever had sexual intercourse with? This is a middle school, for Christ's sake. A, I've never had sexual intercourse. B, one person. C, two. D, three. E, four. F, five. G, six or more people. Then it asks a bunch of quote-unquote self-esteem questions as well. It asks questions about the family. That's pretty much how it wraps up. Are you satisfied with the people that live in your home? Are you satisfied with the relationship you have with your parents? Why does government need to know that? Why is that government's business? And then, of course, the CDC takes all of this information. They throw it all, the, all together nationwide. They compile all of it. They run it through their Scantron sheets. And then uh, manipulate what they want to manipulate. And then they come back a couple of years later and they say, okay, here were the results. This percentage of K-12 students uh, feels suicidal when they're at school. And this uh, percentage of K-12 students has attempted suicide or, or you know, come up with a plan on how to kill themselves. It's, it's nuts. And they used, again, these results, quote unquote, whether it's taken seriously or not, which by the way, these surveys usually aren't taken very seriously by students. They'll answer yes to some of the most heinous questions just on purpose. They'll Christmas tree the whole thing, so to speak, and just circle random answers just to get it done with. That happens all the time too. But don't worry. I mean, the CDC takes it seriously. And they take all those results seriously. So this is the state of the American child in American schools. It's ridiculous. But there you go. That's just one, one example of one of the many uh, impromptu surveys that, they, uh, that they'll give students. And sometimes it's without warning. And sometimes they will tell them in advance. And of course, they provide opt-out forms for parents to fill out. So there you go. Always opt out of government shenanigans. Okay. Now, are you ready for this? Buckle up, buttercup. Here it comes. This was thrown to me yesterday by the great Kim Carter, nurse friend, advocate of freedom, and all things not jab-related. This is a document created by Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. The copyright on this document is October of 2017. Interesting timing. And the title of said document, which I will link in the description below, in fact, I won't even do that. It's on my website right now under the Government Documents tab, and it is on that giant list of 20-some-odd documents. It is the most recent document at the bottom of that list. It is titled, The SPARS Pandemic 2025-2028. through 2028. A Futuristic Scenario for Public Health Risk Communicators, SPARS, S-P-A-R-S. Now, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of this, and then there's a few pages out of this that I'm going to read. So first, the Cliff Notes version. I'll even read again their, their preface for this, because their preface is disturbing. But... This is a script that they have created, tailored around a fake illness, because we know that viruses don't exist. So it's around a fake illness, and it specifically has to do with how to combat individuals 
who are anti-vax or vax hesitant and a thousand other things. So it's basically how to control the narrative, so to speak. But this is very much like Event 201 that they ran before the COVID lie. What's this group over here going to do? What's that group over there going to do? How are we going to get these people on board? How are we going to, you know, fight back against the, uh, you know, the, the anti-vaxxers and all these other whack jobs and whatever else? I mean, that's exactly what this document is. So I'm not going to read through uh, every single chapter, but I will tell you this. This is a very digestible document. It's 76 pages long. It's not difficult to understand. It's not difficult to read. They're just flat out telling you how they plan on propagandizing the public again in the future. And they're publishing this. I mean, they actually have people sit in a room and write this shit out. And then they publish it. And then they think that it is a good thing. Again, you've heard me say in the past, if all of the sudden, well, we're already seeing it theoretically, but if all of the sudden, what was once illegal becomes legal and becomes the norm, then the law just evaporates into the ether. Just like abusing children in American K-12 schools. They put masks on all their faces, deprive them all of oxygen. What was once illegal before 2020, all of a sudden became the norm. And everybody just kind of went along with it. Now, clearly not everybody went along with it, thank God. But, I mean, you get what I'm saying here. Uh, if rape were normalized, then, well, it's not illegal because everybody's doing it. These people are crazy. They're absolute psychopaths. They have no connection to reality because this is their reality, and their reality is nuts. Now, I got to tell you, as I'm scrolling through this, I mean, I really want to read this whole document. I really do. Uh, I've read a great deal of it, but I really want to read the whole thing for the show. But I'm not going to do that because it'll, I mean, this will be hours long. Um, but here's what it says on page three. It says about the John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, rather, Center for Health Security. It's just a very brief paragraph. It says the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security works to protect people from epidemics and disasters and build resilient communities through innovative scholarship engagement and research that strengthens the organization's systems, policies, and programs essential to preventing and responding to public health crises. It says the center is part of the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and is located in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. So that's kind of the gist of, of what they do over there. Brainwash people. That's basically, basically what it is. All right. The preface. Actually, let me read the disclaimer before the preface. Here's the disclaimer. It says, quote, this is a hypothetical scenario designed to illustrate the public health risk communication challenges that could potentially emerge during a naturally occurring infectious disease outbreak requiring development and distribution of novel and or investigational drugs, vaccines, therapeutics, or other medical countermeasures. Now, that right there is awfully damning, is it not? 
they're openly telling you that they're now calling them investigational drugs, vaccines, therapeutics, or other medical countermeasures. Investigative. They're going to try shit out on people. (laughs) That's all it means. We're going to try things out on people, and people are going to be dumb enough to just try stuff. This is awful. And there, by the way, there's no such thing as a naturally occurring infectious disease outbreak. That doesn't exist. Everything is man-made. Everything. Whether it be GMOs in food, it be GMOs in liquid that we drink, the drugs we take, or the uh, biological weapons that are manufactured in biolabs that are sold to the American public and the world public as being a vaccine or being a, uh, you know, a, a drug that, that will cure what ails you, whatever it may be. There's no such thing as a naturally occurring infectious disease outbreak. Even 5G towers and electromagnetic radiation, that's not naturally occurring. That's created by man, and the devices that carry those wavelengths are created by man. So, there you go. But their disclaimer is, uh, is preposterous. Okay, here we go. Here's the preface. It's three pages long. Bear with me. And once I'm done with this, I'm going to dive further into the document because there's a very interesting section. Uh, I think it's on page 34, if I'm not mistaken, where it specifically talks about how to target the anti-vaxxers and what, what needs to happen with us. So here we go. The preface. It says, possible future in 2025, the echo chamber, quote unquote. Unbridled global access to information coupled with social fragmentation and self-affirming worldviews. It's a mouthful. Scenario purpose. Here we go. It says, quote, The following narrative comprises a futuristic scenario that illustrates communication dilemmas concerning medical countermeasures, MCMs, that could, po- that could plausibly rather emerge in a not-so-distant future or the not-so-distant future. It says its purpose is to prompt users, both individually and in discussion with others, to imagine the dynamic and oftentimes conflicted circumstances in which communication around emergency MCM development, distribution, and uptake takes place. While engaged with a rigorous simulated health emergency, scenario readers have the opportunity to mentally rehearse, quote-unquote, responses while also weighing the implications of their actions. At the same time, readers have a chance to consider what potential measures implemented in today's environment might avert comparable communication dilemmas or classes of dilemmas in the future. Translation. They're going to tell people in this document what to say and how to say it and who to say it to in what, sit, in what particular situations. Now, I can't remember all of the buzzwords or all the buzz phrases, but we can come up with a number of them, I'm sure. And you recall many of them. I know you do. We're all in this together. We can build back better. And the list is effing endless, isn't, is it not? It's just endless. But that's where they get all of this. It's a script. 
And that's what they're saying here. They're saying, okay, we have to come up in the future now in 2025 with something else to tell people. Here's the next part of the preface, generation purpose. It says this prospective scenario was developed through a combination of inductive and deductive approaches delineated by Olgavy and and Schwartz. Great. Every time. It then says the time frame for the scenario, the years 2025 to 2028, was selected first and then major socioeconomic, demographic, technological, and environmental trends likely to have emerged by the period were identified. Specifically, two dominant trends likely to influence regulatory and public response to future public health emergencies were selected. One, varying degrees of access to information technology, and two, varying levels of fragmentation among populations along social, political, religious, ideological, and cultural lines. A scenario matrix was then constructed illustrating four possible worlds shaped by these trends, with consideration given to both constant and unpredictable driving forces. I hate these people. I just hate them with every fragment of my being. Ugh, it goes on. Ultimately, a world comprised of isolated and highly fragmented communities with widespread access to information technology dubbed the echo chamber was selected as the future in which the prospective scenario would take place. From this point, scenario-specific storylines were then developed drawing on subject matter expertise, historical accounts of past medical countermeasure crises, contemporary media reports, and scholarly literature in sociology, emergency preparedness, health education, and risk and crisis communication. These sources were used to identify communication challenges likely to emerge in future public health emergencies. Basically, social media. That's the element that they cannot stand. That's always why censorship is their number one priority all of the time. Agree with us or else. Say what we say or else. It's 1984. It says this perspective scenario is not intended to predict events to come. Rather, it is meant to serve as a plausible narrative that illustrates a broad range of serious and frequently encountered challenges in the realm of risk and crisis communication. So here's the scenario environment now. It says the following. In the year 2025, the world had become, has become rather simultaneously more connected yet more divided. Nearly universal access to wireless internet and new technology, including Internet Accessing Technology, or IAT, thin, flexible screens, that can be temporarily attached to briefcases, backpacks, or clothing, and used to stream content from the internet, has provided the means for readily sharing news and information. That's interesting. Flexible, temporarily attached, flexible screens that will be temporarily attached to briefcases, backpacks, or clothing. Well, if you're wearing a device on your clothing, you're giving yourself radiation poisoning. Um, 
But if they're going to come out with something like that, like an iPad that just sticks to something that's super thin and flexible, yikes. Absolutely yikes. Um, Okay, sorry. I digress. It says, however, many have chosen to self-restrict the sources they turn to for information, often electing to interact only with those with whom they agree, hence their phrase, the echo chamber. This trend has increasingly isolated cliques from one another, making communication across and between these groups more and more difficult. From a government standpoint, the current administration is led by President Randall Archer, who took office in January of 2025. Archer served as vice president under President Jacqueline Bennett. Uh, Okay. From 2020 to 2024, who did not seek a second term due to health concerns. Are we foreshadowing here? It says that two remain close and Bennett acts as a close confidant and unofficial advisor to President Archer. The the majority, rather, of President Archer's senior staff, including Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Sindra Nagal, are carryovers from Bennett's administration at the time of the initial SPARS outbreak, S-P-A-R-S. Nagal has served in the position for just over three years. Okay, blah, 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 blah. We don't care about these fake people and their positions. Okay, getting federal agencies involved, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Now, they start off with, I'm going to get into the meat and potatoes of this. Sorry, I didn't read the full the full preface, but I think you, you understand the absurdity of all of this. So after the preface, they dive right into uh, how this outbreak begins. The SPARS outbreak begins, and this is chapter one. It says, in mid-October of 2025, three deaths were reported among members of the First Baptist Church of St. Paul, Minnesota. Two of the church members had recently returned from a missionary trip to the Philippines, where they provided relief to victims of regional floods. And the third was the mother of a church member who had also traveled to the Philippines with the church group and blah, 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 blah. And then again, it gets into, well, what are all of these agencies going to do? They even work up these fake CDC tweets. And it says, here's one from the CDC, dated November 13th of 2025 at 1.13 p.m. It says, holiday travel plans, question, question mark, hashtag stop spars by washing your hands and avoiding public places if you feel sick. Avoid others if you feel sick. Uh, hashtag vampire cough. Hashtag Thanksgiving travels, bring home leftovers, not spars. Uh-huh. Cyber Monday, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then it just keeps going on and on. They specifically call this, though, SPARS-CoV, C-O and then capital V. So they're keeping, they're keeping those letters in place on purpose because it's familiar to people, like SARS-CoV-2. But this is SPARS now. And again, they're, they're, they're openly telling you that they're going to start with a CDC hit and a CDC messaging, and then they're going to start hitting people with health advisories and health alerts. And here's one of them that they have laid out here that they've decided to write up. It says the following. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and state health departments are investigating the emergence of the 
St. Paul Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus. So that's what SPARS stands for. Now reported in 26 states and several other countries. The purpose of this Han Advisory, H-A-N, Health Alert Network, is to update public health departments and healthcare facilities about this epidemic and to provide guidance to healthcare providers. At this time, the FDA and NIH are evaluating potential treatment options. Evidence indicates that antiviral pharmaceuticals may provide benefit. Based on previous trials and other coronavirus patients, the antiviral calociver, I don't know, is the leading candidate. However, neither the efficacy nor safety profile has been determined for, for sparse cases. Further guidance regarding personal protective equipment or PPE and clinical care protocols are delineated below. Again, they, they even earlier talked about trying to how this would, uh, in this particular scenario, would come out during the flu season or the beginning of the flu season, quote unquote. I hate that phrase, by the way, flu season. No such thing. It's only jab season, poison season, basically. Um, and then they openly admit that they don't have a proper diagnostic test for this. Not yet anyway, but don't worry, I'm sure they'll come up with one. And then it just goes on and on and on. But now I want to get to the part where they talk about social media and who to censor and when to censor them. So this is chapter 10, and it's titled Head of the Line Privileges. It says the following, in late June of 2026, Corovax, C-O-R-O-V-A-X, entered the final stage of its expedited review in the United States. After passing FDA safety reviews, production of the completed vaccine had begun and was on schedule. 10 million doses were expected to be available by mid-July with another 20 million doses due by the end of August. With SPARS continuing to spread, both within the United States and around the world, demand for a vaccine was still moderately high in spite of recent social media debacles, and every effort was made to increase domestic production capacity. I like how they call them social media debacles. That's great. Given the demonstrated morbidity and mortality of SPARS, and in anticipation of initial vaccine shortages, the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practice, or ACIP, identified the following priority groups for immunization. Children aged 1 to 18, young adults 19 to 22 with chronic respiratory conditions, and pregnant women. Now they've also, again, as I said earlier, throughout this entire fake scenario, which, let's face it, they're probably going to do this, really. But they create these fake tweets, and they have two of them, side by side. The first one is from a Dave Wilson, where he says, So doctors and nurses don't matter? Question mark. Unbelievable. Good luck dealing with spars without, good luck dealing with spars without us. And then it says, hashtag, Corovax for all. And the person is wearing scrubs and... Uh, they're a doctor, apparently. Dr. Dave Wilson, this fake person. And then next to them is another fake tweet from Nora Erickson, where they're, uh, they're messaging the Ministry of Health or whatever the hell that department is. And then it says, sad that we can't trust our government to do what's right. 
hashtag unfollow. So I don't I don't know her stance on it. Is she is she advocating for another vaccine quicker? I'm not entirely sure, but it continues and it says uh, this plan was met with skepticism among certain groups. Doctors and nurses, for example, expressed certain concerns that they were not included as a priority group. In Milwaukee, healthcare providers even protested their lack of inclusion by refusing to report to work, which in turn prompted the Wisconsin Department of Health Services to promise that healthcare providers would be vaccinated as soon as more vaccine became available. Do you see what they're doing here? They're they're also gaslighting. They're gaslighting people and using reverse psychology in order to try to get healthcare workers to agree with this in the future. So they're creating a scenario where they're where, where they're basically saying that doctors and nurses are going to be exempt from having to take these shots. But then they're creating the response, the fake response by saying, oh, no, 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 doctors and nurses want the shots. They want the vaccine. They want to be inoculated with this. So they're creating fake conflict within a fake scenario that is fake. And they're claiming that the conflict has to do with doctors and nurses wanting the shots for themselves even though in this fake scenario, it's all of these CDC advisory committees and everybody else who's advocating for young people and pregnant women to get it first. And then they, again, create the conflict where they have doctors and nurses saying, no, 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 we need to be the ones who take it first. I mean, it's completely absurd. It's completely ridiculous. And why are they doing that? They're doing that because they know that nurses and doctors right now at least the awake ones, don't want to touch another, another needle ever again. Because in reality, not in this fake scenario, but in reality, the only people going to the doctor and the only people going to the hospitals are the people who are jabbed. That's it. It's not the unjabbed. They're not there. It's absolutely incredible. It continues. It even mentions a particular social media platform called ZapQ. I'm not kidding. Is that real? Is there a zap Q uh, thing? I don't think so, but it says, (laughs) I got to read this. It says this. Again, it's so jacked up. It says, in Republican zap Q groups across the rest of the state, however, these protests, and particularly the response from the Wisconsin Department of Health, were widely reported across social media platforms as yet another example of liberal politics at work regardless of the absence of politics or the actual content of the policy. Many Wisconsinite Republicans subsequently stopped following the news feeds and Twitter accounts of their state and local public health departments. Again, they're playing this scenario out as politically as they can, too. It's it's insane. It wraps up and says, Other groups harboring concerns about ACIP's vaccine prioritization plan included parents of children under the age of one. See what they're doing here? It's more reverse psychology. They're trying to get people who have children below the age of one to clamor for shots, to want them more desperately. It says also adults over the age of 22 with chronic medical conditions and people across the country who opposed vaccination generally. 
These are the people they're targeting. It says during the initial stages of the SPARS vaccine campaign, all of these groups, with the exception of the anti-vaccinators, were sparsely organized and had limited contact with one another, reducing the need for any type of formal response from the public health community. Now, here's the last thing I'm going to read. At the end of every chapter, they summarize it with what they call their communication dilemma. And then they have numbered bullet points here called food for thought. So for chapter 10, the one that I just read, it says the communication dilemma is communicating the need for and reasoning behind the prioritization of scarce resources. Here's food for thought, so it says. Number one, when responding to public concerns about priority access to scarce supplies of the Corovax vaccine, what solutions might result from authorities putting themselves in the place of outraged groups? How might authorities then adapt their messages? Again, in this scenario, what they're really doing is they're making it sound like everybody wants everybody wants a vaccine everybody wants the shot and the major people complaining are actually the people who want the shots those are the people complaining to the health officials because they're not getting the shots into their bodies fast enough i mean i want you to wrap your head around the insanity of this entire scenario here they're claiming in this scenario that the vast majority of the public is going to be desperate to receive these shots. So they're playing out particular scenarios on those individuals screaming and shouting, why can't I get my shot? I need my shot. Why can't my baby get one? Why can't nurses have them sooner? This, that, and the other. That's what chapter 10 in this document is about. They're claiming, again, that the vast majority of people are going to want them. So what is it that everybody needs to do to make sure that everybody can get them who wants them? This is nuts. It's absolutely crazy. It's almost, I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-bendingly confusing as well. If you're confused, congratulations. I don't think it's just me reading it, although I'm sure I'm not helping the scenario at all. But this is nuts. The next chapter is titled Standing in Line and Protesting Online. Just skipping through it again, at the, at the end of the chapter, their communication dilemma, quote-unquote, says publicizing MCM programs and availability to promote uptake and efficient distribution, and then providing real-time data on vaccine availability to align MCM supply with public demand. They're anticipating again, in this fake scenario, that there would be a real demand to receive shots. This is where I think they've, uh, they've jumped the shark. Now it goes into, in chapter 13, which is titled Lovers and Haters, they, they jump into individuals who are against the shot. And they made up another tweet here from a fake person called Imam Ibrahim. Hashtag Corovax is unclean, not for us. Hashtag Muslims. Hashtag no vax. <laughs> this is crazy. This is crazy. 
See, even the Muslims don't want it. So what can we do to reach the Muslim community and the Muslim leaders? They even get into African Americans as well, and they say the concerns of African Americans were very different. Distrust of new treatments, including vaccines, was not a new phenomenon among African American communities. The Tuskegee syphilis experiments and blah, blah, blah. And they list them. This is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It says, through August of 2026, anti-vaxxers, Muslims, and the African Americans remained largely isolated from one another. So what they're doing again is they're always advocating for breaking into social media platforms to basically do whatever they can to get individuals of particular races or backgrounds to advocate for this, to basically propagandize them, of course, but squash any hesitancy when it comes to being jabbed in the future. Now, we saw that already, didn't we, with the COVID jabs? You may recall on this very show, a long time ago, it was 2021, I think, I played a great deal of audio from Ohio State University. Almost every single doctor from Ohio State University wearing an Ohio State University lab coat was a black person. They were all black. And their rationale as to why blacks should take the shots was because they were playing videos on YouTube of Ohio State University doctors who were black in lab coats saying a black person created the shots and they're black and they're doctors and they took the shots. So you should too. Now, we even heard Anthony Fauci say that a black person created the shots. Well, a black female doctor was a part of creating these shots, and and that's why blacks should take it. He said that. That's a real thing. Except it's a lie. Because who just won the Nobel Prize for creating these shots? It was two Jews. It was a male and a female. So the last plan that they already ran on everybody, the last scenario, they actually did it. And now in this fake scenario, this SPARS pandemic, for their Corovax, they're openly saying that they're going to do the exact same thing. So in order to, again, try to convince Muslims to take the shots, what are they going to do next, do you think? They're going to put Muslims in lab coats. And they're going to have those people come out in front of people and say, look, we know that the Muslim community is skeptical about taking these shots, but don't worry, I'm Muslim, and I helped create it, and it works, and I took it, and I feel great, and I'm healthy, look at me, I'm Muslim. They're just going to keep doing that all over again. Now there's this point, and this is a big one. This is on page 46, same chapter as before, still chapter 13. This is a purposeful, scripted, sharp reversal of what they did with the COVID lie the first time around. You may recall, and they still say it, but you may recall that initially they came out and they said, well, we're not seeing that COVID infects children. It's primarily a disease of the middle-aged and the elderly. That was their fatal mistake. That was, that was a fatal, fatal mistake. 
they'd have gotten more people jabbed than they already did, which, let's face it, is not a good percentage by any stretch. I mean, a lot of people got jabbed, unfortunately. But they ran with a story that, again, it doesn't infect children. In this scenario, for SPARS, they say the following. It says, by the time Corovax distribution began in July of 2026, it was clear that not only did SPARS infect children more frequently and severely, but even mild cases of the disease often gave rise to secondary bacterial pneumonia in children. It says these infections often occurred between four and six months after initial infection with SPARS, resulting in greater rates of pediatric morbidity and mortality from the disease. You see the reversal there? Now they're saying, oh, it hits children the worst. That's why we got to go after the younger generations. Remember at the beginning in the preface, in this scenario, they want everybody jabbed from the ages of 1 through 22 because it will infect them more. It's a lie. It's just a lie. Again, this entire scenario is, is frightening. It really is frightening because it's the people themselves who sit down and write this that are the full-blown psychopaths. And they have to go, ladies and gentlemen. These people have got to go. There's an aftermath also. There's a SPARS aftermath page. I'm just going to read the last paragraph because this is their open admission that what they're doing is, is they're changing the way that they did it the first time and they're going to do what they didn't do the first time the second time. It says this, the very real possibility of a future SPARS pandemic necessitates continued commitment to vaccination programs as well as accurate, culturally appropriate, and timely communication from public health agencies across the planet. While the communication experiences of the SPARS pandemic of 2025 to 2028 offer some examples of how this communication can and should occur, they also identify practices that should be avoided or at least modified for responses to future public health emergencies, unquote. Again, it's an open admission that what they're saying is, is in this scenario, they're going to fill the gaps that they didn't fill with the COVID lie. And they're going to approach it essentially in reverse order. That instead of advocating it for the elderly, they're going to advocate it now for the young. This new fake thing that they're creating. And then they're going to push it out on everybody. But they need to make sure and have all their ducks in a row and make sure that they fill in the gaps that weren't filled the last time and that they do the particular things that worked the first time while changing particular things in their plan so that they work better the second time. I hate these people. I hate them. They're all psychopaths. Every single one of them. And they gotta go. That leads me to this. In fact, well, yeah, I'm going to mention this first, and then just a couple of quick headlines, and then I'm going to wrap up. That document that I was reading from just now, the SPARS, you know, pandemic fake scenario thing, that was written in 2017. This peer-reviewed article here 
was published in December of 2021, and it's titled Persuasive Messaging to Increase COVID-19 Vaccine Uptake Intentions. So again, the think tanks that exist on this subject are everywhere. Not only are they creating fake scenarios for the future on what to do differently, but they're publishing peer-reviewed articles on how to increase persuasion. And I don't know how else to summarize it other than to say this. If you have to be persuaded to inject something into your body, the thing that they are trying to persuade you to do is going to kill you. It's that simple. Here's the abstract. It says widespread vaccination remains the best option for controlling the spread of COVID-19 and ending the pandemic. That's the first sentence. I feel like I've read this before, but I'm going to do this one more time because I think it deserves it if I haven't read it already. It says, despite the considerable disruption the virus has caused to people's lives, many people are still hesitant to receive a vaccine. Without high rates of uptake, however, the pandemic is likely to be prolonged. Here we use two survey experiments to study how persuasive messaging affects COVID-19 vaccine uptake intentions. In the first experiment, we test a large number of treatment messages. One subgroup of messages draws on the idea that mass vaccination is a collective action problem and highlighting the pro-social benefit of vaccination or the reputational costs that one might incur if one chooses not to vaccinate. Holy shit. Do you see what they're doing here? They, they ran with this already. They already ran with this. If you get vaccinated, then you can go back to your normal life. You can go back to the normal things that you were doing. We'll let you into the Oakland Raiders football game if you just get vaccinated, but you're not allowed in to the Oakland Raiders football game if you don't get vaccinated. So we're going to have vaccine stations set up right outside of the football stadium, and you can get your jab, and then you can come right in and die as you watch the, the first quarter take place. Remember all that crap? They ran with all of that. Same thing with the old people won't like you if you're not vaccinated. The social stigma stuff. They're openly admitting it here, that this is their plan and that they're going to keep doing this. They continued here. It says, another subgroup of messages built on contemporary concerns about the pandemic, like issues of restricting personal freedom or economic security. My God. We find that persuasive messaging that invokes pro-social vaccination and social image concerns is effective at increasing intended uptake and also the willingness to persuade others and judgments of non-vaccinators. They're openly admitting that they want to ostracize us, close us off from the economy, and have society make fun of us as a whole because we're not jabbed. Bring it on. I say bring it on. I want them to do this again. I'm going to flat out say it. I want them to try. I really do. I want these assholes to do this one more time. Do it again while I'm alive. Please. Please do it again. 
I beg you. It says we replicate this study on a nationally representative sample of Americans and observe that pro-social messaging is robust across subgroups, including those who are most hesitant about vaccines generally. The experiments demonstrate how persuasive messaging can induce individuals to be more likely to vaccinate and also create spillover effects to persuade others to do so as well. Unbelievable. That's the end of it, by the way. They openly say that peer pressure works. We're going we're gonna to peer pressure the ever-living hell out of everybody. There's nothing you can do about it. We're going to stigmatize you, ostracize you, and close you off. We're going to make fun of you. We're going to do all of this. And by doing all of that, they think that that's going to get us jabbed. How wrong they are. How wrong they are. It just makes us hate them more. (laughs) That's all it does. It makes me hate these people even more. And here's another reason, as if we needed another one, as to why I can't stand these individuals, and I know you can't either. Uh, There's this. This is from the FloridaStandard.com. The number 17 million is making the rounds right now. Interesting number 17. Over 17 million people have died from the COVID-19 vaccine, so it says. And it says, as two doctors are awarded the Nobel Prize for mRNA technology, rather, a group of scientists present an alarming study of vaccine-related deaths in 17 countries. 17 countries, 17 million dead. Interesting. Interesting numbers there. I think it's higher than 17 million, by the way. Uh, I've heard numbers as high as 200 million. And I've brought those up, of course, on the show before, but there you go. There's also this, not good news. This is from Scott. Or I'm sorry, SOT.net, Signs of the Times. Study finds new COVID vaccines damage all hearts. It says a new scientific study by Nakaria and others tested COVID vaccinated people to see if they have silent changes, quote unquote, in heart muscle function that standard radiology tests could detect. The study shows very unsettling results. Scientists measured myocardial fluorine, no way do I get this, uh, fluorodeoxyglucose uptake. We'll just call it FFDG, as they do. Uh, It says, however, FFDG does not metabolize like glucose, therefore PET scans could detect it, and its presence shows the heart muscle's abnormality high demand for glucose is indicative of abnormal cardiac function. Well, that's not good. The results of the study here also said that vaccinated patients had overall higher myocardial FDG uptake compared to non-vaccinated patients. Myocardial SUV max was higher in vaccinated patients. Increased myocardial FDG uptake was observed in patients imaged 1 to 30, 31 to 60, 61 to 120, and 121 to 180 days after their second vaccination. 
There was also an editorial that was written about this particular study by a Dr. Bloomkey, if I'm saying that right, professor of radiology at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. And he says there's no way that this would occur by chance. He said the p-value was low, less than 0.0001. This translates to only one time out of 10,000 that these results would occur by chance. So that's pretty, uh, that's pretty damning, I think, and not good. So there you go. Again, not a positive thing, clearly, but uh, it has to be brought up nonetheless. There is this, too, a little more positive. It's, it's bad, but at least it came out in court, and now they're paying for it. Apparently, uh, the drug company Merck, as it turns out, their Gardasil shot has been proven in court to give a teenager, a teenage boy, narcolepsy. Didn't have it before, has it now. Trey Cobb, who developed narcolepsy after taking Merck's Gardasil human papillomavirus, or HPV, vaccine, won a major victory when the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program ruled the vaccine caused his condition. The case could set a precedent in the upcoming lawsuits against Merck, alleging the pharma giant knowingly hid risks associated with the vaccine. And we're done. Which means if you're giving your child the Gardasil shot, you're an idiot. That's all. It means you're a dummy. But it only happened to him, Sean. It didn't happen to anybody else. It's killed people. The Gardasil shot has killed people. But now this guy's got uh, narcolepsy. I mean, good lord. Not good. But again, at least it came out in court. And you'd think, of course, well, we know the mainstream media will never run with this, but yeah, there you go. I bet it's not just the Gardasil shot. I bet it's all of them. I bet it's all of them. Ladies and gentlemen, lots there. Thanks for listening. Again, if you want to read up on that uh, fake scenario SPARS document, it is on my website at the end of the government documents list in the government documents tab, americaneducationfm.com. God bless everybody. Take care, and I'll catch you on Wednesday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out americaneducationfm.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.